Praise God. That song by Andre Crouch was pretty much my whole sermon today. So we could probably sing that and go home, but we're not going to. Well, good morning, Lilburn Alliance Church. It's an honor to bring the word today. I get to preach in a lot of places, and I always love the most being home in this church. And uh, I am so grateful to be an elder here. The elders in the room, just stand up for a moment for me. Dale, our lead elder here. I just want to say on behalf of the elders, we love you. We love you. And you need to hear that. We gather once a month together, and I'm in a lot of meetings. And I have to tell you, that is the most refreshing Saturday morning at 7.30 of, of my year. Every time we get together, we have a blast. And we have a prayer meeting. And we're praying for you. We care about you. We're interceding for you. We don't get together just for business and to check off boxes. We get together because we love you, you're cared for, and you're interceded for. And I just wanted you to know that and see some of the men in this room who love you dearly, Lilburn. And so let's just give them honor. Yeah. Well, hopefully you've picked up this Romans journal, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do that after the service, because this is going to be our guide for 18 weeks. We're on the front end of a sermon series on the book of Romans. Now, as I've been studying Romans over the last month, I read through it in a couple days uh, last month, and it was like taking a bath. Uh, it was so refreshing, and this book can change your life if you'll let it. And I want to give us just some background on this book, because Paul is writing to Christian Jews and Gentiles who were in Rome, who were in conflict with each other, specifically over the leadership of the church and the implications of the gospel in everyday life and the implications of the gospel in this new era of faith since the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ, since the Messiah had come. And the fundamental issue that was dividing them was what to do with the Old Testament law and religious traditions. Yes. What do we do with all this, such as obeying the Sabbath and dietary restrictions? See, the question dividing them was how do these things apply to our lives now that the Messiah has come, now that Jesus had come? And as Fred pointed out in week one, the church was wrestling with this issue of obedience, of faith. How do we follow Christ? So in Romans, Paul gives a lot of attention to the religious law, attention to Jews and Gentiles and how they're to be relating to one another in the church. That sounds good. And Paul is helping them discover, helping us discover what the gospel is how it changes our life, and how it works itself out in the lives of all believers and in their obedience to Jesus. So that's a little bit of the context, but the real question we want to be answering over these 18 weeks is really what is so important about this book right now? Why does it matter to me today? Why does it matter to Lilburn Alliance Church in 2019? Because Paul's letter to the Romans is one of the most important expressions of Christian truth that's ever been written. Yes. It's Paul's letter to the Romans, and it's his message that forces us as believers to evaluate who we are, to evaluate who God is and how our faith should be expressed. And more than any other letter that Paul 
is writing. He expands on the meaning of the gospel. He expands on our salvation through Christ and the implications that has on all levels of our life. What the cross means. And see, Paul frees us from trying to achieve salvation through rules, through works, through traditions. He frees us from all of that. He helps us reach out and grab all that Christ offers us, not based on anything we do, but solely and fully based on the grace of Christ that he shows us on the cross and the salvation we have because of the resurrection and his conquering death. He allowed himself to be murdered on the cross for our behalf. And Paul shows us that we don't have to live under the domination of sin. We don't have to live under the domination of guilt. And all the things that plague us, we can be free. We don't have to live in the courtroom of condemnation anymore. We have been liberated. We have been set free by Christ because of the grace of this free gift he offers every single one of us. You haven't just been revoked of your sentence in the courtroom. Friends, you are out of the courtroom. You're no longer even there. He has paid the price, and peace has been been made available with God in our life. And that's really good news today. So... The content of Romans provides a foundation to understanding the Christian life, but also shows us the importance of acting on that understanding, living out the Christian life. And so if you have your journals, we're in page 8 today. We come to Romans 1.16. And Paul, honestly, this verse should be unpacked over probably about three weeks, but I have one chance, so I'm going to unpack it right now for us. It's a powerful verse. And some of you are saying 18 weeks on Romans, that's too long. Friends, John Piper spoke on Romans for eight years. Okay, Emily, Emily, her whole life was based on Romans. She was in that church. She doesn't know any of the other scripture, but she knows Romans. I told Stephen, you need to be up here preaching. So we're unpacking this. So Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Everyone who believes. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel. What is the gospel? What does that even mean? Some of us who've grown up in the church, we throw around that term a lot. Gospel, gospel, gospel. We don't even know what it means. But Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You see, the theme of the gospel runs throughout all of Romans, throughout the whole letter. The word gospel literally means an announcement. In many translations, it's it's translated as good news. And during the time of Paul's letter, probably around 57 AD, when the Roman emperor would send a declaration and a proclamation throughout the empire of an accomplishment, something that had been achieved, that was called a gospel. See, this isn't a Christian term. That was called a gospel. It was something that was good news to be believed because of something that had been accomplished. I'm going to say that again because it's really important we understand that. The gospel is something to be believed because of something that has been accomplished. We can believe in Christ 
because of his work on the cross, the accomplishment. And that's good news. It's not some just good advice, take it or leave it. It's more than that. And the 66 books of the Bible all point to this gospel. All 66 books point to this gospel. Even the Old Testament points towards the good news of a savior. See, the gospel isn't some concept. It's not about a concept. The gospel is about a person. It all revolves around the person of Jesus, the savior, the Messiah. It's all about him. And Paul explains this in the first four verses of Romans. So our gospel is an announcement. It's good news that the righteousness of God has been seen in the life and death of Jesus Christ. And that this righteousness is offered to each one of us as a free gift of God because of his death and resurrection. Stephen talked about the righteousness of God last week in Romans 1.17. See, the gospel is not just an announcement. Listen, the gospel is not just an announcement. It's an invitation. It's an invitation to come under the righteousness of Christ and to experience life to the fullest by living in obedience that comes from faith. That's the invitation we have. And because of the victory that Christ achieved on the cross and through his resurrection, the gospel is clearly a message of salvation. It's a message of salvation that Jesus is the Savior and the only way to God is through him. No one has life apart from Jesus. Some of us have grown up in the church and we've limited the gospel. We've limited this message. We limit the gospel to just the message of spiritual salvation. And I want to help us understand today that it's bigger than that. It's bigger than that. It's a gospel of life to the fullest that offers salvation on every single level of your life, mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. It's salvation for your whole life, not just for your spirit. It is the gospel of healing. It's a gospel of love. It's a gospel of grace. It's a gospel of forgiveness. It's a gospel of deliverance. This is the gospel. Paul wanted the Roman Christians to understand the gospel, to experience the gospel, and more importantly, to live the gospel. Paul shows us not only how God in the gospels makes sinners righteous, but also how this incredible gift of God of salvation brings about deep and massive changes in our behavior and in our character. It affects every level of our life. And one of the reasons Paul's talking about the gospel is because the Roman Christians needed to appreciate the gospel so that they would learn to let go of the situations that were dividing them. They needed to learn how to let all that go And this is still critical to the church today. Why? Because a healthy and accurate view of the gospel creates a healthy church. Hello. Got one amen in the house of God today. A healthy understanding of the gospel creates a healthy church, Lilburn Alliance. Tim Keller said, we only grasp the gospel when we understand, as Paul did, that we are the worst sinner 
we know. And that if Jesus came to die for us, there's no one that he would not die for. And this sets us free to obey Jesus in loving our neighbor and even loving people that society and maybe even our churches tell us are unlovable. So let me simplify it. Write this down. The gospel is a proclamation of life that God offers to everyone which leads to a demonstration of the life God intended. Amen. The gospel is a proclamation of the life that God offers everyone that leads to a life and demonstration of the life that God intended. That's the gospel. It changes everything. So I want to give us three important truths this morning about the gospel. I, I want to point these out to help us grow in our understanding of the fullness of the gospel, the power of the gospel. The first is the gospel is both vertical and horizontal. The gospel is both vertical and horizontal. The gospel, when received and believed, affects our whole life, our relationship with God and our relationship with, G with each other. Amen. How many of you could help, receive some help today in your relationship with other people, in your marriages, with your children, with your, your friends? Paul shows us that the gospel has both a vertical and horizontal focus. You see, Romans 1 through 4, chapters 1 through 4, focus on the vertical gospel. They show us our sinful nature and our need for God to intervene on our behalf, which he does through Christ. And he provides justification through faith. Now that word justification, I'd write that down. It sounds like a big word, but it's really easy to understand. Justification is God removing our guilt, removing our penalty that would lead to death because of the righteousness of Christ. You see, he removes that guilt. He removes that penalty. At the, at the same time, he makes us righteous so that we can come into his presence. This means we are justified. Real easy way to understand that. We are justified just as if I'd never done it. That's justification. And that's what's being offered to us here. That's what Paul is preaching, that we can gain a right standing with God through Christ, and this is at the heart of the gospel. As Keller says, the gospel shows us that we're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. And at the same time, we are more loved and accepted by Christ than we ever dared to hope for. And it's that relationship, and only that relationship, that changes everything. But there's also a horizontal dimension of the gospel that brings us together as one people of God. One people of God. Everyone who believes can be integrated into the house of God. Amen? Amen? This is what Paul talks about in Romans 11 when he gives us the picture of an olive tree and people being grafted into the olive tree. We can all be part of the family of God. This is a horizontal focus that emerges in chapters 9 through 11. And Paul's horizontal focus of the gospel shows us that we're, we're not just reconciled to God, friends. We are reconciled to each other. Hallelujah. And the gospel provides us with a relationship with the God of the universe. But it also provides us with a foundation for learning how to integrate people from all different backgrounds. 
different ethnicities, different nationalities, different genders, all becoming one people of God that he's creating us to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is a miracle. So you won't hear this in society. They want to divide us. They want to keep us apart, separate us. But the gospel is countercultural. Particularly here at Lilburn Alliance Church, this has huge implications. See, we have people part of this church who are, who are born in 60 different nations, more than 60 different nations. We're all coming together from our different backgrounds. But God makes us one people. See, Paul's just writing to two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. We have over 60 here. So this has huge implications for us. And what he's teaching them is how to allow the gospel to break down every dividing wall that could potentially separate us. You see, that can happen if we will allow it to. We need to check ourselves. If there's any bigotry in our heart, if if there's any disunity among us, the gospel compels us to repent and come together. Both a vertical and horizontal view of the gospel are critical. And the church then and the church now, Lilburn, needs help understanding both the vertical and horizontal nature of this gospel. We can be one people of God from many backgrounds if, if we will let go of our religious traditions and our rules for following God and rather be rooted in God's incredible gift and grace that none of us in this room deserve. See, that's what makes us all equal here. None of us should be here. We all deserve hell. But we can come together because of the grace and gift of God. Second important truth about the gospel I want to point out today is that the gospel is for both believers and unbelievers. It's for both believers and unbelievers. See, it's to be preached to believers and unbelievers. Too many of us shortchange the gospel. We think that when we become followers of Christ, that's good, that's it, we're done with the gospel. And that's not what Paul says. And see, verse 16 supports verse 15. And in verse 15, Paul says, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Who's he, who's he talking about? Who's he preaching the gospel to? Believers. Why? Because they didn't get it. They weren't fully surrendering to it. Sound familiar? Uh-oh. You see, Paul wasn't only an evangelist, he was a revivalist. A revivalist is an evangelist to the church. He was waking up the church to the gospel. See, Paul wasn't only trying to preach the good news to the unbelievers, but to everyone. Everyone. We are called to respond to the gospel not just once. We are called to respond to the gospel every day when we believe in Christ. And now, before you throw me under the heretic bus, I'm I'm not saying that you should be experiencing a spiritual salvation every day. Once you give your life to Christ, once you believe in Christ, that is it. You are his. But what I am trying to point out 
that we have to respond to the gospel every day to continue to respond to it. We receive and respond to the gospel every time we forgive someone who's wounded us. Yes. We receive and respond to the gospel every time we love someone who's unlovable. Yes. We receive and respond to the gospel every time we overcome a sinful stronghold because of God's power in our life. Every day we can be responding and receiving the gospel. Don't limit your understanding the gospel to just one time spiritual salvation. The gospel is an ongoing message of salvation that affects every area of our life. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This is the gospel. And Paul goes on to say, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now that is really, 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 really good news. The power of salvation for everyone who believes. Everyone needs the gospel. Paul shows us that the unreligious need the gospel. The pagans need the gospel. The religious people need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel. And if you're here today and you feel there's something in your life that would keep you from receiving salvation through the gospel. I want to offer you truth today. Exhort you today. Maybe you're here and you say, I have the wrong education. I have the wrong background. I have the wrong ethnicity. I have the wrong nationality. I have the wrong political affiliations. I have the wrong sexual orientation. I have the wrong moral track record. And because of that, I don't have a place in the kingdom of God today. I want to speak truth to you today. Receive the truth that's offered here by Paul. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, including you. Everyone. The only one thing keeps you away from salvation. Unbelief. Unbelief. Your past should never keep you away from salvation. Jesus certainly isn't keeping you away. One requirement for salvation, belief. For everyone who believes. Now, the third important truth about the gospel I want to point out today is that the gospel is full of power. This isn't going to be up here, so just hang with me. I did this after. The gospel is full of power. The gospel is not an interesting philosophy or an interesting theory. It's alive and it's full of power. And Paul says, for it is the power of God for salvation. And that power is seen through its ability to change hearts, its ability to change minds, its ability to change relationships, its ability to change marriages, its ability to change all of life. It's the power of God. The gospel is powerful, and it can do what no other religion on earth can do. It can save us. It can reconcile us to God. Listen, it can guarantee us a place in heaven because the gospel is full of power, and all that's required is belief. Faith is the connection to the power of the gospel that flips on the light of salvation. Belief. Belief. If you have received and believed this gospel, 
You have a message of truth for the person who's searching for answers. If you've received and responded to this gospel, this message of life and hope, you have hope to give someone. The person in your workplace who's struggling with addictions. The person in your school who feels completely hopeless and needs hope. You have a message for life for the person who's living like they're dead. You have all of that if you've received the gospel. So let's not withhold the gospel from those who have never heard, from those who have only partially heard, from those maybe who have even overheard and become desensitized to the power of this gospel that you have. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I love that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'll never forget uh, many years ago, I was living in Birmingham, my wife and I, and we were attending a church at that time uh, that had grown uh, pretty quickly. We were probably three or 4,000 people at that point. And our pastor had a, a really big personality. Everyone in the community knew him. God was doing great things. And it was the first time I'd ever gone out with a church uh, door to door. We were taking Bibles and just sharing with people the love of Christ. And I, I, we went to this trailer park and, and I went to this, these two men. They were sitting, sitting down drinking beer. And I walked up to them and, and I, I told them who I was, where I was from, what church I was from, and just told them I wanted to just give them a Bible. The man stands up, beer in hand, looks me dead in my face and says, I hate your church and I hate your pastor. Now, I don't know what you would have done. <laughs> Took me by surprise. We stood there and stared at each other for a few moments. And all I could muster to say was, I don't care if you like me. I don't care if you like my church. I don't care if you hate my pastor. All I want to know is do you know Christ and how much he loves you? He stood there holding his beer. You know, you hear that, hold my beer. I didn't know what he was going to do. I didn't know if he was going to punch me or have me sit down and give me a cold one. And he looks at me and he thrust his hand out. Son, that's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> now, I don't know what that was about. But I remember in that moment, this fear and this shame came over me. Like I had offended this man. You see, Paul was shamed for the gospel, but listen, he was never ashamed of the gospel. Big difference. Stay with me. Big difference. The word translated ashamed also means offended. And the gospel tells us that salvation is free and undeserved. It's a gift. Being good and spiritual isn't enough to get you salvation. And because of that message, because of that truth, it will offend people who are religious and think that their goodness and their works will earn them salvation. You see, the gospel tells us that we needed a Savior to die for us because we're separated from God because of our sin. And this offends those who are universalists who believe that we should tolerate all religions and everyone should do what makes them feel good, what's good for them, who are you to tell me that what I believe isn't true? The gospel will always cause offense because it reveals that each one of us have a need that we cannot meet on our own. 
So it's always going to cause offense. And it's always going to tempt us to be ashamed. Satan will always tempt us towards that, particularly in our Western culture of self-sufficiency, self-effort, and intolerance. Tolerate, 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 tolerate. Got to be tolerant. But don't let society shame you into believing that we're intolerant because we believe this gospel. Friends, this gospel is incredibly tolerant. You know what the gospel tolerates? It tolerates repentant hearts. It, it tolerates people who are broken and want healing. Yes. It tolerates the walking dead and offers them life. Yes. It tolerates the hopeless and offers them hope. It, it tolerates those who are searching and offers them truth. The gospel tolerates everyone to come and believe. But you know what it doesn't tolerate? It doesn't tolerate Jesus among other gods. It doesn't tolerate multiple ways to God. And it definitely does not tolerate being ashamed. You see, in Mark 8.38, Jesus is talking with his disciples, and it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, Jesus calls his disciples to live unashamed by dying. Sounds inviting. By dying. See, just a few verses before that in Mark 8.35, Jesus said, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, listen, and for the gospel's sake shall save it. See, being shamed and ashamed are radically different. Shame is external. Being ashamed is internal. Keep shame on the outside because once it comes on the inside, you will be quiet and silent about this gospel. Once it comes on the inside, you'll be tempted to tweak the gospel and make it more comfortable for you and your, the people around you. You'll be tempted to compromise the gospel. But Paul says in Romans 1.15, I'm eager to preach the gospel. Why? Because I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of it. Think about the times in your life that you've lived under shame, that you've been embarrassed. Every one of us has been here. You've been embarrassed by something. We hear phrases in life like, oh, that's a shame. You should be ashamed. Shame on you. That's shameful. He's ashamed of his parents. We hear all this stuff about shame, shame, shame. And we even create environments or keep ourselves away from environments and places that might bring us shame, right? Maybe we don't try out for a sports team at school because we, we don't think we're going to make it and we can't live with that shame. We'll be ashamed that we, we didn't make it. Maybe to drive it closer to home for some of us in the workplace, we, we don't offer truth because we don't want to feel ashamed when it offends someone. Maybe we don't go to that family reunion because we're ashamed of past wounds and situations in the family. See, shame's all around us. But Jesus calls us not to be ashamed of the gospel. And usually all of this shame is wrapped up in our need to be liked and accepted. But Paul was never concerned with that. 
He was never concerned with keeping himself in a good light for other people. He wasn't trying to maneuver his way through life so that he could win friends and influence people and receive the affections of people. As as Dr. John Piper says, if you do that, you become a slave to other people. If you try to avoid shame by pleasing other people, you will live in bondage. Make no mistake about it, if we believe this gospel, the truths of this gospel, at some point you will be shamed because you believe there's an ultimate truth, because you believe in right and wrong. There's such a thing as truth. You you see, people today, they won't tell you that you're wrong. They'll tell you that you're an arrogant jerk for thinking that they're wrong. Who are you to tell me what to believe, that you have the answers? But the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Christ and Christ alone, church, is the way to salvation. And if you believe that, you will be called prideful. You'll be called arrogant. You'll be called intolerant, especially today. And the temptation is to tweak the gospel to our liking so that it never offends anyone. But friends, in in Romans 1.1, Paul says, it is the gospel of God. It's the gospel of God. Therefore, we're not at liberty to reshape this gospel, to make it more comfortable, to make it more appealing, to tame it and make it more easy in our lives. When it comes to the gospel, we have to learn to live unashamed. Unashamed. Let me give us three ways that we can live unashamed. Quickly. We can live under the power of the gospel. The gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to people. We look beyond the shame and we see the power of the gospel to change people's life, to save people's lives. And in the gospel, words and power come together. You see, Paul says in the gospel that it is the, the gospel is therefore the power of God for salvation. He doesn't say it brings power or that it has power. Listen, it is power. The gospel message is actually the power of God in verbal, cognitive form. And when it's proclaimed, it powerfully saves people from death if you believe it's truth. It's just like at creation. When God created the heaven and the earth, what did he do? He spoke it. His words were communicated. Power was released. And creation took form. It's no different with the gospel. When it's communicated, power is released. There is power in communicating this gospel. That Christ has made a way to God. Secondly, how do we live unashamed? We live for the joy set before us. We live for the joy set before us. You see, Jesus was stripped in public, made naked. He was accused of blasphemy. He was abandoned by his friends. He was tortured. He was verbally assaulted. Shame was heaped on him. He looked like a fool on the cross. And shame was dumped on him. And for the joy set before them, 
It says in Hebrews 12:2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, when shame began to threaten his heart as it threatens ours and tempts us to abandon the gospel, tempts us to abandon truth, tempts us to abandon boldness, when shame begins to have that power, Jesus looked it in the face and said, you will not have me. I will not yield to you. Do with me what you want, but you will not keep me silent. He gave shame no place over his life. And aren't you glad? He looked over the shame to the triumph to the cross of the cross. Yes. He looked over the shame to the salvation of, of untold numbers of people. He looked over the shame to the coming glory, the new heavens and earth. He looked over the shame because he saw you. For the joy set before him, he would endure any shame, any shame. And friends, we are called to do the same. For the joy set before us, we're called to look beyond the shame, to see the people around us, in need of a savior. We're called to look beyond the shame to the coming glory that's ours. How do we live unashamed? Third, we live obligated. We live obligated. See, Paul says in Romans 1.14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. Foolish. You see, too often we, we want to hate the shamers, right? We want to hate the haters. Because we got some haters, yeah. right? We got some haters. But we often create an us versus them culture in the church. But Paul says that he's obligated to them, required to show them grace. God has shared the gospel with Paul. He's commissioned Paul to share the gospel with others. So Paul owes people the gospel. He owes it to them. How do you react when people criticize your faith? How do you react when you hear on TV the mocking of your faith? How do you react when people come against you and political parties attack your beliefs? Do you shun them? Do you ignore them? Do you hate them? Do you gossip against them? Or do you pray for the turning of their hearts? John Piper says, if you have disdain towards the despisers, you will never bring the gospel to them. Amen. Friends, listen to me today. Lilburn Alliance Church, listen to me today. We owe people the gospel. The reason we've put so much emphasis on going to 3,000 homes around this church over the last year is because we owe them the gospel. We owe the Hindus the gospel. We owe the Muslims the gospel. We owe the Buddhists the gospel. We owe the seekers the gospel in Lilburn. Because we 
have received a free gift of God. None of you in this room deserve it. I don't deserve it. We are obligated to Him. We're obligated. And we owe it to the people out there to proclaim this good news. Stand with me. Now more than ever, we have got to free ourselves from the shame we may feel in sharing the truth that we know. And some of you are here today because someone was bold enough to share the gospel with you. I was talking to somebody after the first service came to Christ right here in this church six years ago after spending his whole life searching for truth because someone here shared the gospel with him. The right time, at the right moment to a hungry heart. Many of you have that story. And I gotta ask you, are you compelled to share this gospel? This message of salvation, not just spiritual salvation, Yes, that is the most important thing. But salvation on every level of our lives. Salvation that changes us physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It is the power of the gospel that brings salvation. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and to the Greek. This is the message that many of you have inside of you that you cannot keep to yourself. Now some of you are here today and for the first time you've heard this message of hope, of the gospel, and today I wanna offer you salvation, spiritual salvation that'll change your life. With every eye closed, I just want you to pray this with me if you're here today and say, this is me. This is what I've been looking for. This is the truth. This is the message of hope I've needed. It's real simple. You just say, I believe. I believe. Confess with your mouth. I believe, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross, that you rescued me. You took my sh shame and all of my sin upon yourself for the joy set before you. Forgive me and cleanse me and wash me. I believe that you were resurrected from the grave, that you conquered death. I believe today. If you prayed that prayer today, we wanna to meet with you after the service in the connection room right there off the sanctuary. Please come see us. And some of you are here and Maybe you haven't allowed the gospel to really penetrate every area of your life. Really get down into the, the deep, dark places. Allowing the gospel to change fully who you are. Particularly emotionally and mentally. I want to pray for you today. Lord, right now in this room, 
for anyone who's not allowed the gospel to fully change their lives. Maybe we believed. That's where it ended. We ask right now that you would penetrate the deep parts of our life. We ask that you would go throughout us, change our minds, our thinking, change our emotions, rule and reign in us, change our relationships, change our marriages, change our parenting, change our work, our schools, change us because of this incredible gospel message. Maybe some of us are here and we've been keeping quiet about our faith. We haven't wanted to offend anyone around us. I wanna, I wanna ask you today to step out in boldness and courage. Allow Jesus to meet you with courage and strength today. Maybe there's one face that comes to your mind, one name that comes to your mind who you can share this incredible gospel with. Let Jesus take you to that place, to that person. Give you the boldness, the strength to share and proclaim this incredible gospel that we have. As we worship now, you just pray your prayer. You deal with God in any of these ways. Down.